Welcome to episode 179 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for May 30th, 2011. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this week's episode of the Fredcast, doping allegations in cycling go mainstream as Tyler Hamilton talks to 60 Minutes about Lance Armstrong. Alberto Contador gets his case pushed back to after this year's Tour de France. Two cyclists die tragically, one during the Giro d'Italia and one in a bizarre at-home accident. Plus, two Canadian radio hosts start an F cyclist campaign and a physician is credited with saving a bicyclist at the annual Bike the Drive event in Chicago. All that and more as the Fredcast returns to the airwaves. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer, just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast in between constant traveling for my day job and quite honestly, disgust with professional cycling. It's been a while since we've been here. It's good to be back with you and thank you so much for staying subscribed and staying and hanging in with the Fredcast. This week's episode of the Fredcast is sponsored by Jensen USA. You know, we've been talking about Jensen USA here on the Fredcast for well over a year. And I'm going to say, hopefully, thanks to you listeners, Jensen USA is now one of the internet's top 500 retailers. According to Internet Retailers Definitive Ranking and Analysis of America's 500 Largest E-Retailers based on 2010 Internet Sales and Researched by Internet Retailer and Confirmed by Retailers, Jensen USA now ranks number 367 on the list of the top 500 Internet Retailers. And you know what? It didn't take their sales numbers to tell me that because one of the things that I've found since I've been associated with Jensen USA and before that as well is that Jensen USA is the place where you're going to find the best selection of cycling products, the best customer service, and some of the best prices around. Go to JensenUSA.com slash TheFredCast or go to TheFredCast.com and click the Jensen USA link on the right-hand side and find out for yourself why Jensen USA is one of the top 500 internet retailers up there with people like Amazon and all of the other great retailers that you've come to know and love. Jensen USA is my go-to location for finding cycling products on the internet, and it should be yours as well. Once again, go to JensenUSA.com slash TheFredCast, or go to TheFredCast.com and click that JensenUSA link. We thank JensenUSA.com so much for their support of the Fredcast, and we thank you for your support of JensenUSA. Well, if you've been paying attention to the Fredcast this year, you know that beginning in January, I slightly changed up the format of the show to move professional cycling toward the second half of the news segment of the show. Tonight, I'm going to switch it up and bring professional cycling back up to the front, and that's because professional cycling has made it to the front page of newspapers around the world, both mainstream and cycling-specific, thanks to the revelations that Tyler Hamilton brought out on his appearance last Sunday on the CBS News program, 60 Minutes. Tyler Hamilton had a long interview on the show during which 
he implicated Lance Armstrong and the entire United States Postal Service team as having been involved in systematic doping. Tyler Hamilton decided to go public with these allegations following having been subpoenaed by and testifying in front of the federal grand jury investigating Lance Armstrong and the U.S. Postal Service cycling team. Days before the 60 Minutes interview news broke, Hamilton sent a friends and family email out to, yes, his friends and family. And in part, he's quoted as saying, During my cycling career, I knowingly broke the rules. I used performance-enhancing drugs. I lied about it over and over. Worst of all, I hurt people I care about. And while there are reasons for what I did, reasons I hope you'll understand better after watching, it doesn't excuse the fact I did it all, and there's no way on earth to undo it. The letter continues with, The question most people ask is, why now? There are two reasons. The first has to do with the federal investigation into cycling. Last summer, I received a subpoena to testify before a grand jury. Until the moment I walked into the courtroom, I hadn't told a soul. My testimony went on for six hours. For me, it was like the Hoover Dam breaking. I opened up. I told the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and I felt a sense of relief I'd never felt before. All the secrets, all the weight I'd been carrying around for years, suddenly lifted. I saw that for me personally, this was the way forward. The second reason has to do with the sport I love. In order to truly reform, cycling needs to change and change drastically, starting from the top. Now that I'm working as a coach, I see young people entering the sport with hopes of making it to the top. I believe that no one coming into the sport should have to face the difficult choices I had to make. And before the sport can move forward, it has to face the truth. And here are the words of truth, as Tyler Hamilton calls them, specifically related to Lance Armstrong and the U.S. Postal Service team. He was using EPO in the Tour de France in 1999. Correct. He was using EPO in the Tour de France in the year 2000. He used it before to prepare for the tour. And what about the tour in 2001? He used it to prepare for the tour. I can't say that he used it during the tour. What did you actually witness? Uh, I, I mean, I, I saw it in his refrigerator, you know. I saw him inject it more than one time. You saw Lance Armstrong inject EPO? Yeah, like we all did. In addition to claims about Lance Armstrong injecting EPO and Tyler Hamilton doing the same, Tyler Hamilton accuses the team of engaging in blood doping and also accuses the team of passing out white lunch bags filled with doping products to the top athletes on the team. During that same 60 Minutes interview, Frankie Andreu also commented saying that it was impossible to stay up with the athletes in the sport without using doping materials because he saw too many athletes who shouldn't be riding away from him doing just that and it therefore became clear that the sport was rife with doping. Now, purportedly also subpoenaed as part of the federal investigation was George Hincapie, longtime lieutenant and very good friend of Lance Armstrong. The reports are 
And these are unconfirmed and unsubstantiated. The reports are that Hincapie also testified before the federal grand jury admitting to doping and admitting to seeing Lance Armstrong using doping products. Meanwhile, back to Tyler Hamilton, who claims in the interview that Lance Armstrong tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs at the 2001 Tour de Suisse and that he told Tyler Hamilton of this positive test, but told Tyler not to worry that it would be taken care of. Tyler Hamilton claiming that the donations that Lance Armstrong made to the UCI and anti-doping efforts were actually payoffs to cover up this purported positive doping test against Lance Armstrong. The UCI has issued a press release categorically rejecting Tyler Hamilton's claim, saying in part, quote, the International Cycling Re Union categorically rejects the allegations made by Mr. Tyler Hamilton, who claims that Lance Armstrong tested positive for EPO during the 2001 Tour of Switzerland and had the results covered up after one of his representatives approached the Lausanne laboratory responsible for analyzing test results from the event. The UCI is deeply shocked by the seriousness of the allegations made on the 60 Minutes program aired by U.S. television network CBS and by the extent of the media interest in the case and wishes to state once again that it has never altered or hidden the results of a positive test. The allegations of Mr. Tyler Hamilton are completely unfounded. The UCI can only express its indignation at this latest attempt to damage the image of cycling by a cyclist who has not hesitated to abuse the trust of all followers of cycling on several occasions in the past. At no time did he see fit to inform the UCI of the events he claims to have witnessed 10 years ago and which he is now using in his attempt to harm the UCI. It then goes on to say this, the UCI can only confirm that Lance Armstrong has never been notified of a positive test result by any anti-doping laboratory. For his part, Lance Armstrong tweeted shortly after the news broke about Tyler Hamilton's 60 Minutes interview, saying, 20-plus year career, 500 drug controls worldwide in and out of competition, never a failed test. I rest my case. George Hincapie, for his part, said via Twitter, I can confirm to you I never spoke with 60 Minutes. I have no idea where they got their information. Following all of this news, I asked you, the listeners, via Twitter to send me your comments. Here are comments from two listeners about their thoughts on the entire situation based on their following of the news and their watching of the 60 Minutes interview. Hey, David. My name is Jimmy, and he did it, man. It's just a shame that it had come from Tyler Hamilton. Admitted cheater, but I just saw on Twitter that George Hincapie said that he saw him do it. He's, it, it's such a shame, but he did it. There's no way he, he's guilty. I know how you feel about him. I think a lot of us feel about him the same way that he did it. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's a bad day for cycling in general. David, this is Stuart. Hey, I got your tweet and, uh, you know, it's kind of a touchy subject. There's two sides to this. I've always been a Lance Armstrong fan, but Tyler Hamilton's comments made me wonder um, what exactly is going on. 
these people starting to come out now and talk about Lance. Well, one's obviously a federal investigation because of federal funds going to fund U.S. Postal. And, um, you know, the thing is, too many, you know, where there's fire, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that this is one of those cases where there's too many people saying the same things. Frankie Andreu, Landis, and now Hamilton. Granted, you can discredit those guys. Uh, not Andreu so much, but uh, or his wife, who all said the same thing. And the fact that the entire Peloton um, has had this problem off and on, I can't help but think that uh, Lance probably did dope. Um, I, I think Hamilton's motivations are dubious. He's coming out on 60 Minutes. He's talking about it now because of you know some PR person angle, and then he's he's trying to shop his book hoping to chop his book around and get publicity for some reason. Um, but there's got to be some truth to this stuff. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge is what to believe about Lance and his character. And so then when I sit back and I think about him as a person, the only thing I can come up with is uh, he's got a habit of cutting corners. I've got a friend I train with who used to race against Lance in his younger days, in his early triathlon days, and Lance used to pull out of races and quit when uh, he wasn't going to win it. He didn't finish or he didn't fight to the end. It wasn't apparent that he was going to win those early triathlons. My friend said that Lance had a, uh, a habit of kind of quitting and pulling out. And I think his character, especially in his relationships and his marriage, uh, make me wonder what kind of corners will he cut to win at all costs. You know, he's married, um, has kids, leaves, um, you know, tries to be a good father, but is jetting around the world, basically propping up his own ego and his own accomplishments. And, um, you know, then has, uh, you know, is apparently very in love with Cheryl Crow. Uh, she's got cancer, what's something he fights for, and he bails on her. Uh, and now he's showing an example to his kids of do whatever works for you by having more children with another woman who's not even willing to marry. And just from an old school value standpoint, it tells me that Lance cuts corner. You know, it's interesting to listen to both of those callers and to hear the tone of their voice, the obvious disappointment, yet... What appears to be what I'm hearing from a lot of cycling fans and friends over the last few days and weeks, which is almost an apparent resignation, uh, coming to a conclusion of, like the last caller said, Stuart, where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, considering the fact that guys like Hamilton and apparently Hincapie have been called in front of the federal grand jury and have had to bring up things from the past that they had hoped would stay buried, perhaps things that, that they had tried to cover tried to cover in their own minds uh, and figure out ways to rationalize, but are now having to face, if you believe Tyler Hamilton, if you believe the stories about George Hincapie, indeed, if you believe Frankie Andreu, and yes, even Floyd Landis. Guys who, as has been rightfully noted, many of whom can be discredited uh, and who one could say have ulterior motives for saying the things that they're now saying against Lance Armstrong, whether it's to 
uh, deflect, whether it is to sell a book deal or whether it's just because uh, they feel the need, having been destroyed themselves, to destroy others. Many people are coming to the conclusion that there is more to this story than, than many of us would like to believe. Complicating matters even further are the yellow bands that many of us, including myself, wear on our wrists. I've been wearing a Livestrong band for many, many years, partially out of solidarity, solidarity for the people that I know in my life uh, who are fighting or have fought cancer, partially for the good that I know that the Livestrong Foundation does for those fighting cancer, and to be honest, partially simply to identify myself as a cyclist. Many people are finding it very difficult to separate Lance Armstrong, the cancer fighter and champion and warrior, from Lance Armstrong, the athlete and bicycle racer, and some would say suspected doper. That is what is polarizing much of the the debate on this topic. Those who have fought the fight against cancer, those who have been affected uh, in a positive way by the Livestrong and Lance Armstrong foundations, find it very difficult to separate Lance the athlete from Lance the cancer fighter. For me, to be honest with you, I've grappled over the last week or so with whether or not I want to continue wearing the Livestrong band. And I've come down on the side of, absolutely I do, because I can separate Lance the athlete from Lance the cancer fighter and from the Lance Armstrong Foundation and from the Livestrong organization. Lance the cancer fighter, his foundation, and Livestrong do good things every single day and have done good things for people that I know. And I think that it's an important fight, one that is worth fighting, and a a group that is laudable for what they have done. But I have to separate that from Lance Armstrong, the athlete, and from the smoke that I see rising in the air and my suspicions about whether or not there is indeed or was a fire. One of my problems is, is that I've parsed the statements that Lance Armstrong and his camp have made, and I've parsed the statements that George Hincapie has made. Uh, and it's one thing to say, yes, I passed 500 or more doping controls. That is true. It's also true to say that so did Marion Jones. And yet Marion Jones came out and admitted, yes, under pressure, but admitted that she too, uh, that she had doped and that she had won races as a result of the advantage that doping had provided to her. Yet she never failed a doping test. And there are plenty of others that we can name who are in the same situation. Is it possible, as many have have contended over the years, that uh, with the right doctors, with the right doping strategy, that you could beat a doping test? Is it possible that the controls for EPO and blood doping were not as sensitive then as they are now? And is it therefore possible that the team was passing out white lunch bags and that the team was, as, as, as Tyler Hamilton has said, using performance-enhancing drugs to prepare for major races? Is that possible? It's possible. Am I saying that it happened? No. Am I saying that anyone is guilty 
before having been proven so? No. But do I have my doubts? I do. Are those doubts growing by the day? They are. And do I therefore find myself disappointed with those who many of us have thought of as heroes? Do I therefore find myself feeling more and more duped every day by watching professional cycling? I do. And quite frankly, a tweet that I've been saving for days is one that says something to the effect of every year I look forward to the Tour de France in July. Every year I have no problem being sleep deprived, getting up in the middle of the night to watch live what's going on in France. And yet this year, I'm finding it difficult. I found it difficult to follow the Tour of California. I found it difficult to watch the Giro d'Italia. And you'll, you know, we'll talk about this later, but many of you already know Alberto Contador won this year's Giro d'Italia. And the Tour of California was won by Chris Horner of Team Radio Shack, Lance Armstrong's team. Did those things gnaw at me? Yeah. Am I saying that Chris Horner is a doper? No way. As a matter of fact, kudos to Chris Horner for what he's done. Look how old he is and look what a great job he did in winning the Tour of California. But Alberto Contador, he's racing under a cloud of suspicion following last year's Tour de France. And so I have a very difficult time. I feel like the protagonist in the TV, uh, pardon me, in the uh, film network who throws open his window or tells his audience to throw open their windows, stick their heads out their windows and yell, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, guess what? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And so, yes, I have doubts about professional cycling's past and nobody can tell me not to consider the past and not to think about whether or not we've been duped and whether or not professional cycling should continue to be under the scrutiny that it's under. I talked about this on The Spokesman earlier this weekend, and I said that I feel right now as a fan that cycling is not only under a cloud, but I feel like the entire system is corrupt, that we need to sweep away the old and bring in the new because there is too much suspicion and too, mu too many accusations and innuendos about everybody from individual racers to team managers and directors sportifs who may have or have admitted to doping in the past to the UCI, the International Cycling Body, all the way up to the World Anti-Doping Agency and even, yes, the Court of Arbitration for Sport who have now postponed Alberto Contador's hearing until after this year's Tour de France. So to my mad as hell, you bet I am. And I am not going to take it anymore. I urge you to do the same. Yes, Tyler Hamilton has been discredited. And yes, he is an admitted doper and somebody who is shopping a book deal. But there are far too many signals and signs coming from far too many quarters to make me believe that there is nothing to these stories. I, for one, am looking forward to the results of the federal investigation. Look, the money is already being spent, has been spent, let's get to a conclusion. And let's find out what lies beneath all of these accusations. So I say, as opposed to a lot of other people who have said, stop the investigation, spend the money on something else, you know what? Spend the money, let's find out. Let's determine 
Let's let a jury, the grand jury in Los Angeles, who's meeting now, let's let them tell us whether or not smoke really does mean fire or whether smoke is simply so much illusion like the smoke and mirrors of magicians of old. I'm looking forward to finding out what's going on here. And I'm also curious to hear what you think. Well, as I just mentioned, Alberto Contador is riding under a cloud of suspicion following a positive doping test from last year's Tour de France for the banned substance clenbuterol. Admittedly, a very minuscule amount of clenbuterol uh, that Alberto Contador claims comes from tainted beef that was brought from Spain to feed the team during the Tour de France. However, despite the fact that it was a minuscule amount, the UCI and Waters rules call for zero tolerance for this specific substance because it can be used to prepare for a race. And therefore, if an in-competition uh, doping test found it, it may have been from a previous doping session. There were also rumors swirling that there were plasticizers found in his sample, which might indica indicate that he was possibly blood doping, uh, reinfusing his own blood that had been collected prior to the Tour de France, perhaps at a time when he might have been doping with clenbuterol. Alberto Contador was judged by the Spanish Cycling Federation as being clean. He was acquitted by the Spanish Cycling Federation. Uh, the UCI and WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, appealed that verdict to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, who had promised that they would have their conclusion prior to this year's Tour de France. Well, on May 26th, it was announced that Alberto Contador's Court of Arbitration for Sport hearing would be postponed, and that it would be postponed until after this year's Tour de France. According to the Court of Arbitration for Sport statement, quote, Following the agreement between the appellants and the respondents, the Court of Arbitration for Sport has accepted to postpone the hearing. They say that that is because they want to, quote, give all parties concerned reasonable time to prepare for the hearing and to guarantee the participation in person of witnesses and experts. Concluding accordingly, the CAS panel has decided to cancel the hearing initially scheduled for the 6th through the 8th of June 2011, and new hearing dates will be fixed as soon as possible. Well, that throws into doubt what will happen with Alberto Contador and this year's Tour de France. Alberto Contador is the winner of last year's 2010 Tour de France, and therefore would be wearing number plate number one during this year's Tour de France as the defending champion. Tour director Christian Prudhomme was quoted as saying, quote, we are surprised, especially since a very precise date had been set, but we still hope that it will be resolved before the tour, and that's still a possibility. Well, I'm not so sure about that. If the Court of Arbitration for Sport isn't having their hearing until after the tour, I don't see how this can possibly be settled before the Tour de France, except perhaps by the Tour de France themselves, because the UCI rules would allow the Tour to ban Alberto Contador from this year's event. 
According to UCI Rule 2.2.010, thanks to blogger Inner Ring for this information, quote, the organizer may refuse permission to participate in or exclude from an event, a team, or one of its members whose presence might be prejudicial to the image or reputation of the organizer or of the event. If the UCI and or the team and or one of its members does not agree with the decision taken in this way by the organizer, the dispute shall be placed before, guess whom, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which must hand down a ruling within an appropriate period. However, in the case of the Tour de France, the dispute shall be placed before the Chambre Arbitral du Sport. I'm guessing that that is an uh, arbitration court for sport in France. Interested, very interested to see what the ASO does in this case. Because, as I mentioned in the previous story, I am mad as hell. Quite frankly, I am hoping that Christian Prudhomme and the ASO do indeed ban Alberto Contador from the event, thereby forcing the Court of Arbitration for Sports hand. Make them make a decision before this year's Tour de France. If Christian Prudhomme does believe that there was a positive doping test, and if the UCI convinces the ASO, the organizers of the Tour de France, of their position, right, that the Spanish Cycling Federation's decision was based on politics and not on fact, then wouldn't they have the responsibility to stand up and say, no, we will not allow Alberto Contador to taint our race any further until his case has been fully adjudicated. Do I think they'll do it? I don't know. 50-50 shot? I think that the Tour de France has been marred by doping scandals too many times in the recent past, and that therefore they might be considering it. On the other hand, this is the Tour de France, arguably the most famous cycling race in the world. And Alberto Contador is right now arguably the most famous professional cyclist. I mean, look, he won the Giro d'Italia. He won the Tour de France. He is cycling's reigning champion. So that might weigh in favor of the ASO deciding to keep him in this year's race. I'm very interested to see what happens in this case. But I'm going to tell you right now, were I in Christian Prudhomme's shoes, I don't think I'd let him race. Moving beyond doping, I do have two sad stories that I do need to report. Now, let me set the stage for you. It's stage three of the 2011 Giro d'Italia. The peloton is heading down a twisty, steep mountain descent. Belgian cyclist Wouter Velant is racing for the Leopard Trek team. He has been dropped by the main peloton and is between the peloton and the chasers behind him, typically the sprinters. He looks back for a split second, as we've all done riding our bikes downhill, as we've seen racers do time after time, probably just simply to judge, should I slow down and wait for the rest of the chasers, and then we can work together on the rest of this stage. As he looks back, he hooks his pedal just for a moment on a wall. 
and that sends him flying off of his bike and onto the pavement in front of him at a good 40 to 50 miles per hour. Lutervelant hit the pavement and was killed. Now let me set the stage for how I found out. I was, as you know, uh, I frequently travel for business, and I was on an airplane. And I landed in Minneapolis, having flown from Salt Lake City, where I had a layover. And I sat down, as I normally do, and opened up my notebook to read my emails, both from the Fredcast and personal and also for work. And I opened up TweetDeck, as I often do, and I started seeing messages about what had happened. And it had only been a few moments. And I started reading some of the, the messages and some of the posts and some of the, the news reports that were trickling out. I sat there in the airline terminal. And for some reason, this really affected me. I have seen tragedies occur on the field of sport before. We've all seen tragedies in cycling before. But here was a young man at the height of his career and who was simply doing something that we all love. Nobody expects that when they go out on a bike ride, nobody expects when they go out to compete in, an, in a race, nobody expects when they're a spectator to have something like this happen. And there are those who would say that people only watch say NASCAR or IndyCar racing or Grand Prix racing just to see the crashes. And yet I've never heard of anyone say that they watch bike racing to see the crashes. And I've never heard anyone say that they expect when they're watching a bike race to hear of a racer die for his sport, for his career, and for what he loves doing. And all of that came flooding into my mind and tears started to roll down my face. Vutervelant was not a well-known racer outside of perhaps Leopard Trek fans, Belgian cycling fans, and only the most die-hard professional cycling fans. Yet I was struck by the tragedy of his situation, of the fact that he had a young wife, or pardon me, young girlfriend, who was pregnant with their first child. And thinking about her and about Vuter's teammates and friends and family and the fact that a young man had just died on a road in Italy doing what it was he loves best. David Miller, who took over the Malia Rosa, the pink jersey, as race leader after that stage, was quoted as saying, our sport is very tragic at times. It has been throughout its history. When he took over the pink jersey, he said that day that it meant nothing. Continuing, he said, the bottom line is that the guys here are the best cyclists in the world, and the best guys in the world can have a mechanical fault or find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. Immediately, there were statements coming in from all over the world, including the statement from Vuter's team, saying the team is left in a state of shock and sadness 
and we send all our thoughts and deepest condolences to the family and friends of Wouter. This is a difficult day for cycling and for our team, and we should all seek support and strength in the people close to us. Lance Armstrong was quoted as saying on Twitter, I'm shocked and saddened. May he rest in peace. Mark Cavendish said, things like this shouldn't happen. I'm absolutely sick to the stomach. And Alberto Contador called it a terrible story and a dark day for the cycling community. The UCI issued a statement and also an initiative to raise money and a foundation to help his family. The UCI saying, having learned of the initiative of Team Leopard Trek, which has created a foundation in favor of Wouter Valant's family, the UCI wishes to lend its full support to this action and also invites the whole cycling family to participate in honor of the memory of the rider who died during the third stage of the Giro d'Italia. In this extremely sad moment, the UCI's donation and those of all the other members of our community can in no way lessen the sorrow of such an important loss, but they demonstrate to those who have been hit by this tragic accident the solidarity of our sport, which Vuter loved so much. And there is a link in the show notes to that foundation. And kudos to the website stomachofanger.com, set up perhaps tongue-in-cheek and in jest after Andy Schleck's statement after last year's Tour de France, where he said his stomach was full of anger when he was passed due to the mechanical that he had uh, when Alberto Contador passed him. Kudos to them for creating a commemorative 108 t-shirt because 108 was the number that Vuter Velant was wearing in the 2011 Giro d'Italia. And it was a t-shirt fundraiser that raised, I believe, over $35,000 for Vuter Velant's family. I do have a link in the show notes to that as well. Vuter Velant's number 108 was retired by the Giro d'Italia. No rider ever again in the Giro d'Italia will wear number 108 ever again. For those of us who have been cycling fans for a long period of time, we will remember Fabio Carsartelli dying during the 1995 Tour de France. Uh, some of you may re also recall Emilio Ravasio in 1986, who died during the Giro d'Italia. Few today may remember Juan Manuel Santisseban in 1976 and Orfeo Ponsin in 1952. Nevertheless, our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts go out to each of those riders, friends and family, and especially at this time to Vuter's friends and family. And what is perhaps most ironic, Vuter Velant died during stage three of the 2011 Giro d'Italia. And it was Vuter Velant who won stage three of the 2010 Giro d'Italia. As I said, thoughts and prayers to Vuter, to his friends, to his family, especially to his girlfriend and their unborn child. Vuter Velant, rest in peace. And then about two weeks after the tragic death of Vuter Velant came the news earlier this week that Spanish cyclist Javier Tondo died in a freak accident at his home in southern Spain after he was crushed between his car and a garage door. Javier Tondo was 32 years old. He was killed while he was trying to get his car out of the garage 
in a residential complex near Granada, Spain. He got out of his car to try to get the garage door open, but his car rolled forward and pinned him against the door, causing Javier Tondo's death. As with the death of Vuter Velant, there were statements all over Twitter uh, about what a great guy Javier was and how sad everyone was to hear of his death, including Giro d'Italia winner Alberto Contador, who said, My sincere condolences to his family. He was an amazing person who loved this sport as anyone. I'll miss you very much. Rest in peace. Javier Tondo won stage six of last year's Perinice. He was sixth overall in this year's Volta a Catalunya and fifth overall in the Tour of the Basque Country this year. He also took first overall in this year's Vuelta a Castilla e Leon. Rest in peace, Javier Tondo. Our thoughts and prayers go out to you, your friends, and your family. Well, let's move from negative news to positive news and talk about a few race results from recent events. Starting with the 2011 Amgen Tour of California. Many of you may know that stage one of the Amgen Tour of California this year was canceled due to extremely inclement weather in the Sierra Nevada mountains. High winds, heavy snow, and ice-stricken roads caused the race organizers to make the difficult but correct decision to cancel stage one. It's interesting, by the way, to note that uh, the Tour of California was moved from February dates to May dates in order to try to avoid some of this inclement weather. But considering the fact that as of today, Mammoth Mountain in the High Sierra had over 660 inches of snow on the season, kind of makes sense that this was kind of a tough year, uh, no matter whether you were going to have this race in February or you were going to have it in May. I mean, heck, this weekend I had about, I'm going to guess about a total of 6 to 12 inches of snow at my house as well, so I don't think it really mattered what the dates were going to be. But this year's 2011 Amgen Tour of California was won by 39-year-old Radio Shack team member Chris Horner who finished 38 seconds ahead of second place teammate Levi Leipheimer and two minutes, 45 seconds ahead of third place Garmin Cervelo rider Tom Danielson. Chris Horner put himself into the race lead when he won the very difficult uphill finish on Sierra Road near San Jose, thanks in part to his teammate, Levi Leipheimer. After that, and the very strong finish in the individual time trial in Solvang, always a good event, he rode very strongly up Mount Baldy, where Levi Leipheimer took the stage victory with Chris Horner coming in at the same time with his teammate, and then a very excellent day keeping himself safe in the final Santa Clarita to Thousand Oaks stage, which was won by Matt Goss of HTC High Road, followed by Peter Sagan and Greg Henderson, so that Chris Horner was able to stay in the California Golden Leaders jersey and win the 2011 edition of the Amgen Tour of California. Rounding out 
the top 10. Chris Horner, Levi Leipheimer, and Tom Danielson in first, second, and third, as mentioned previously. Christian Vandeveld from Garmin Savello in fourth place overall, followed by T.J. Van Garderen, Lawrence Tendam, Rory Sutherland, Andy Schleck in eighth, Steve Morabito in ninth, and in tenth, Ryder Hedgedahl from Team Garmin Cervello. Meanwhile, the first of the three Grand Tours concluded this weekend in Italy with, as mentioned previously, Alberto Contador winning the 2011 edition of the Giro d'Italia in 84 hours, 5 minutes and 10 seconds, a full 6 minutes, 10 seconds ahead of second place Michele Scarponi and 6 minutes, 56 seconds ahead of third place Vincenzo Nibali. Rounding out the top 10, Jean Gadray, Joaquim Rodriguez, Roman Kreuziger, Jose Rujano, Dennis Menchov, Steven Kreutzwick, and Konstantin Sivtsov from Team HTC High Road. Alberto Contador riding a very strong Giro d'Italia this year, taking the pink jersey first when he won the stage on Mount Etna, capturing two total stage victories holding on to the Malia Rosa leader's jersey, the pink jersey of the leader in the Giro d'Italia, for 13 days. Contador demonstrating a new victory line salute as he came across the finish line on Sunday, not only doing his normal pistolero salute, but also beating his chest, perhaps indicating that he felt that he was the strongest rider in a tough mountainous 2011 Giro d'Italia. Being quoted at the end of the race, Alberto Contador said, quote, it is, it is an amazing feeling to win the Giro here today, and it is a dream finale. My team was really supportive throughout, and we didn't really have a bad day. I will say, however, that on Sunday, Giro organizers had a bit of a bad day because as Alberto Contador mounted the top of the winner's podium in his Malia Rosa for the final time, and as the organizers got ready to play the Spanish national anthem, uh, oops, they played the wrong one, leaving Giro d'Italia organizers embarrassed and needing to apologize to Alberto Contador. Instead of playing the current Spanish national anthem, Giro organizers played one that was commissioned in 1928 by General Primo de Rivera. This was a Generalissimo Francisco Franco era fascist style national anthem as opposed to the Spanish national anthem of today. Curiously, Alberto Contador had a similar Thing happened to him when he won the 2009 Tour de France. At that point, instead of paying, playing the Franco-era Spanish national anthem, the ASO mistakenly played the Danish national anthem. Meanwhile, here in the United States, where there was no doubt what national anthem to play this weekend for the winner of the U.S. Pro Cycling Championships, I've got two new winners to tell you about, starting with the individual time trial. But wait, this isn't a new winner. This is a name we've heard before and someone who ha is right at home wearing the Stars and Stripes jersey of the U.S. Pro 
Time Trial Championship. Dave Zabriskie won the U.S. Pro Cycling Time Trial Championship for a fifth time this weekend by 31 seconds, completing the nearly 21-mile course in Greenville, South Carolina in 40 minutes, 23.5 seconds. Second place went to Tom Zerbel and Matthew Bush finished in third place. Well, remember that name, Matthew Bush, because it was he, Matthew Bush, from Team Radio Shack, who won the road race today, taking first place for Team Radio Shack and donning the red, white, and blue Stars and Stripes jersey that he'll get to wear all year as he represents Team Radio Shack and the United States as the national champion. Second place going to hometown favorite George Hincappy from Team BMC. And third place going to Team Lickygas Cannondale member Ted King. And just as Dave Zabriskie is no stranger to the Stars and Stripes, here's someone else who won a race this weekend who is no stranger to victory. 55-year-old Deadly Nedley Ned Overend from Team Specialized won his fifth Iron Horse Bicycle Classic Road Race on Saturday in Silverton, Colorado. If you're not familiar with the Iron Horse, Iron Horse refers to the railroad, specifically in this case, the Durango to Silverton Narrow Gauge Railway. This train winds its way through some very spectacular scenery in the San Juan National Forest of Colorado as it winds its way from Durango, Colorado to Silverton, Colorado. And the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic commemorates that by having bicycle racers race the train over the Molas Pass from Durango to Silverton. It is, if you've ever been there as I have, it is a spectacular event and a lung and leg buster for the racers. Ned Overend, who did I mention is 55 years old, last won the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic in 1992, winning the race this year in 2 hours, 18 minutes, and 54 seconds, with second place going to Greg Krause and third place going to Howard Grotz. And with the conclusion this weekend of the Giro d'Italia, the UCI has now released their World Tour rankings as of May 30th. Atop the rankings, Philippe Gilbert, Alberto Contador catapulting up to second, Michele Scarpone in third, Fabian Consolara in fourth, Cadell Evans dropping down to fifth, Joaquin Rodriguez in sixth, Vincenzo Nibali up to seventh, Matt Goss down to eighth, Andreas Cloden down to ninth, and moving down to tenth from seventh place, Tony Martin from Team HTC High Road. Coming up next on the World Tour from June 5th through the 12th, it's the famous Tour de France preparatory race, the Dauphiné Libéré, although some people do choose to do the Tour de Suisse as a preparatory race, and that's June 11th through the 19th. And then July the 2nd through the 24th, the second of the annual Grand Tour events and arguably the most famous race, cycling race that is, in the world, the Tour de France. Moving away from professional cycling to mainstream news, many of you who follow me on Twitter or Facebook 
know that I've been doing a lot of traveling and specifically because of my day job, I've been spending a lot of time in Canada. Now, typically when I'm there, I tend to listen to podcasts and now don't listen to ter terrestrial radio very much, but I'm starting to think that when I am in Ontario, it's time for me to start listening up to a couple of radio hosts there who have started what they call an F cyclists campaign. Specifically, I am talking about radio station 97.7 HTZ FM, which is billed as Southern Ontario's best rock from St. Catharines in Southern Ontario, not far from Toronto. Their radio morning hosts from 6 a.m. are Biggs and Barr, and they recently started what I just mentioned, the F Cyclists campaign. And this came to me thanks to Keith from Cadence Revolution, the folks who put together our Podsafe cycling music every week. Specifically, the hosts, just like the ones I mentioned in Los Angeles who were uh, who's on whose show I appeared when they were upset at the uh, new LA Bike Master Plan, John and Ken on KFI AM 640 in Los Angeles. Biggs and Barra 97.7 HTZ asked their callers to call in and talk to them about this F Cyclist campaign with one caller suggesting that the best way for drivers to deal with cyclists who, quote, think they own the road, unquote, is to pull ahead of them and slam on the brakes. Another recommended throwing hot coffee in cyclists' faces while driving past. And then there were those who recommended to, quote, treat them as speed bumps or pull up beside them and blare the horn to rattle their nerves and perhaps cause them to crash. All of this came to the attention of several local cyclists and simply local concerned citizens who reported it to a local St. Catharines newspaper who reported on it, and then it went, then went nationwide across Canada. In one of those newspaper articles, radio station general manager Bob Harris was quoted as saying that the morning show was handled in a tongue-in-cheek manner and that it would not pose a threat to cyclists, saying, quote, I think that's a stretch. I think the average person would be able to draw the line between what's real and what we're having fun with, unquote. Well, if you're like me, you've had people honk at you to try to get you to fall off your bike or had things thrown at you or been shot at or spit at or any of those other things that many of you have reported to me, I think you and I both know that there is a segment of the population who would take this F cyclist campaign quite seriously. In fact, one could say that this was quite bad timing for the Biggs and Bar Show as there was a subsequent issue in southern Ontario, a hit-and-run crash that sent 31-year-old cyclist Adam Shields to the hospital. According to the general manager, quote, those two things are not connected. We're sensitive to that situation for sure. One did not cause the other conversation. I think it's just coincidental timing. Now, having read the article, thanks to Keith from Cadence Revolution, I went on the Biggs and Bar website. I've got a link in the show notes to where you can check that out. And I decided I'd Try to download the podcast of that show from May 26th. And curiously, that show, that May 26th show, was not among those that could be downloaded via podcast. However, a subsequent show in which Biggs and Bard had a cyclist on to debate with them uh, about 
their F Cyclist campaign. That was available. I found that quite interesting. The other thing that I thought was interesting was a Kia automobile ad that was pointed out to me by a listener. Now, of course, I can't show it to you here on the show, but the tagline of the advertisement is, we can all drive change. And I think simply listening to the audio will give you an idea of what this ad is all about. With enough innovation to make you feel both safe and spoiled, the 2011 Kia Sportage is perfectly capable of owning any road, but prefers to share it. After all, we started out making bicycles. Sharing. That's how we could all drive change. Now, you may have noticed that the narrator there had a bit of a Canadian accent, and that's because this particular automobile ad from Kia was produced and aired specifically for the Canadian market. Quite interesting, the contrast between the Kia advertisement advocating sharing the road with visuals showing actually cyclists as the cameramen in the advertisement versus the Biggs and Bar F Cyclist campaign from HTZ Radio in Southern Ontario. For those of you who are in Southern Ontario, if you hear the guys from Biggs and Bar acting up again, time for you to be one of the callers and let them know what it's like to be out there on a bicycle on busy streets in a place like St. Catharines or in Toronto or in Mississauga or any place else in Southern Ontario or perhaps across Canada across the United States, or across the world. I challenge radio hosts like Biggs and Bar, like John and Ken in the United States down in Los Angeles, to strap a helmet on, put on some clipless pedals and shoes, and go out and ride among the traffic and see things through our own eyes. And I think their perspectives will change quickly. Well, it was a bit gray and foggy in Chicago this weekend as 20,000 people of all ages and experience levels turned out for the 30-mile Bike the Drive event in Chicago. And thanks to a quick-thinking cycling doctor who was participating in the Bike the Drive event, another participant in the event is living to tell the tale today. And that is because at about 8.45 a.m. near the North Avenue exit, a bicyclist began to fall from his bike. And this doctor who was nearby noticed the man and jumped from his bike and began administering CPR as paramedics were called. Paramedics arrived, also began giving the man CPR and shocked him with a defibrillator. They were able to stabilize the man who was alert when he was taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital in serious condition. Kudos to the doctor, the quick-thinking doctor cyclist who saved a man during the Bike the Drive event. On episode number 175 of the Fredcast, I told you that Raceface had gone into receivership and that the company would be closing. Good news for fans of the Vancouver, Canada bicycle components manufacturer because Raceface is 
back. Chris Tutton, who has been in an uh, OE sales position at Easton Bell Sports, is taking over as managing director at Raceface as he and a small private equity group, along with Derek Willis, who was Raceface's operating officer, purchased the company recently out of receivership from its receiver, Grant Thornton, and reopened the doors of Raceface, now called Raceface Performance Products. Meanwhile, Raceface Taiwan is currently in receivership in Taiwan, but the new Raceface in Canada will still use Raceface Taiwan as a vendor. It's great news for those people who are Raceface fans and those people who had Raceface orders because Raceface is planning on filling those orders if they haven't already. This is an iconic brand from the heyday of mountain bike well, the mountain bike fervor of the 90s. So it is great to see Raceface back in business. We wish them a lot of luck and many years of success to come. In other company news, you may recall that during the Interbike trade show in 2010, all the buzz was on the fact that Garmin had purchased Metrogear, Metrogear the makers of a pedal-based power meter system, leading people to believe that Garmin was going to get firmly into the power meter business. Well, not to stand still, SRAM has now announced that they have acquired Quark Technology. You may be familiar with Quark. We've talked about them here on the show before. They're the manufacturer of crank-based power meters with their Cinco and Saturn crank-based power meter technologies, now a part of SRAM. According to Stan Day, CEO of SRAM, quote, we're looking forward to the opportunities that this partnership represents for further innovation and integration of bicycle components and power measurement. Quark's growth has been impressive and their technology and product base are strong. Power measurement represents a rapidly growing segment of the cycling market, market, and we are very content to have partnered with a leading brand in Quark and a technology pioneer in Jim Mayer. Jim and his wife started Quark several years ago in Spearfish, South Dakota, and Jim was quoted as saying, quote, we started Quark five years ago to push forward power meter technology. We've had wonderful success to date and are very excited about joining forces with SRAM. SRAM has a long history of innovation and is a natural fit with Quark. We look forward to further pushing forward power measurement technology. I get a lot of emails asking me where people can find charity rides across the United States. Well, now Raleigh has the answer as they have launched MyCyclingEvent.com to connect cyclists with popular charity rides across the United States. The new site is called MyCyclingEvent.com and allows riders to search or post new charity rides, receive training tips, and tracking assistance with GPS and routing, and find nutrition tips and gear suggestions from industry experts. Plus, there's a community section that provides an online hub for riders to share stories, videos, pictures, and other thoughts on community involvement. Now, Raleigh has initially partnered with four national rides, including Seattle to Portland, the Palo Alto and Salt Lake City Tour to Cure, and the Cleveland MS-150. And that was how they initially started. But today, if you go on the site and you put in a location in the United States, you're bound to find a nearby Tour to Cure or Bike MS event. That's fantastic because those are two events that I've been involved in and two really worthy causes. However, I also know that there are a lot of other worthy charities and 
cycling charity events across the United States. So please, if there is a charity event that you're involved in, submit it at mycyclingevent.com. And I'm hopeful that over the next months and years, mycyclingevent.com becomes the one hub for all sorts of charity rides, not only in the United States, but hopefully across the world. And finally tonight, a bit of sad news uh, that came to me by way of an email from Georgina Terry, the president and founder of Terry Bicycles. Georgina writes, I thought you and your listeners might want to know that Ian Jackson, the founder of Breath Play, www.breathplay.com, passed away last week. He had a lot of followers who found his breathing techniques to be powerful tools for both competitive and casual cyclists. He was a super guy and will be missed by many. Now, if you're not familiar with breath play, breath play is something that was developed by Ian Jackson. It's a, a quote, kinesthetic training technique developed by Ian Jackson for use by competitive bicycle racers. It is almost a combination of breathing techniques, pedaling techniques, and yoga as a way to train your body, train your mind, and train your breathing so that you are more at ease, you get better performance, and you are more efficient on your bicycle. For those of you who are followers of Ian's, I know you will share with me and sending thoughts and prayers out to Ian and his friends and family and wishing him tailwinds on his further journey. Well, before we move on to the feature section on this week's show, I wanted to mention another one of our sponsors, and that is Epic Planet at epicplanet.tv slash Fredcast. I've told you about their Epic Rides virtual cycling DVDs and their phenomenal locations and cinematography, their great routes, the fantastic 16 by 9 widescreen picture, and the gorgeous imagery that you will see, plus their digital dashboards, and yes, their power profiles, which are downloadable time-based workout files compatible with programmable indoor trainers such as my CompuTrainer. I got an email from Alan from Virtual from Epic Rides earlier this week letting me know that all of their power profiles are now online for every one of their videos. And that is great news. I immediately downloaded them so that I could put them onto my CompuTrainer. But Alan also wanted to let me know that he has just produced the Epic California Mount Baldy ride that takes you on a virtual training ride on an extremely challenging and beautiful route out of Glendora in the city of Los Angeles. Now, if that, or at least in the county of Los Angeles, and if that sounds familiar, that's because it was part of stage seven on this year's 2011 Amgen Tour of California. Now, the Epic Planet Epic Rides Epic California Mountain Baldy includes over 6,000 feet of climbing with grades between 7 and 10% with a maximum grade of 15%. This is a 95-minute DVD, something that I know that you will enjoy. So go to epicplanet.tv slash fredcast and get your epic rides today. We thank Epic Planet for their support of the Fredcast, and we thank you for your support of Epic Planet. 
Well, just a couple things in this week's feature section of the podcast. First of all, starting off with a question, I need your help. As you know, the Fredcast is not the only podcast that I produce. The other one is one that comes out every other week, and it's called the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast at the-spokesmen.com. We just did one over the weekend. And yes, all we talked about were the Tyler Hamilton allegations. It got quite heated. We all ranted a little bit in our own way, and I think you'll find it interesting. Go ahead and check it out, the-spokesmen.com. But if you're on a BlackBerry, you may be having problems pulling down the Spokesman podcast. I got an email from listener Rich who said, David, I'm not super techie, but I have figured out how to pull in the Fredcast on the BlackBerry podcast module. But the Spokesman isn't there. Is it possible for it somehow to be added, or is there some way that I can download it using the BlackBerry podcast module. Now, not being familiar with BlackBerry myself, not having one or being familiar with the BlackBerry podcast module, I didn't know what to tell Rich, so I'm reaching out to each of you. If you are familiar and you've been able to get the spokesman down to your BlackBerry, shoot me an email or give a call to the Fredcast listener hotline and let me know how you've done it so I can tell listener Rich. I very much would appreciate it. Well, on the last episode of the Fredcast, I introduced a new feature called Travels with Fred. As I've mentioned several times this show, I travel a lot for my day job. uh, And as a result, I need to stay in shape and just, you know what, running doesn't do it and the hotel gyms don't do it for me either. So either I bring along a bike with me or I rent a bike locally. And last time we talked about renting a bike in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, this week... I'm going to tell you about a recent trip that I took to Los Angeles. Now, you know, Los Angeles to me is not so much like traveling. I moved away from Los Angeles just four years ago after having lived in Southern California my entire life. Well, on a recent trip to Los Angeles, I arrived late in the afternoon. No way that I could do any business, but the sun was going to be up for a couple more hours. So I headed straight out of Los Angeles International Airport with the bike that I had brought along with me parked myself over in the Marina Del Rey section of town just a few miles from LAX. I found myself a parking space at Fisherman's Village, mounted up my trusty steed and headed right out of the parking lot down to the cul-de-sac past the Coast Guard station and immediately onto the bike path right at the end of Bayona Creek. Now, when I lived in Los Angeles many, many years ago in the first apartment when my wife and I were first married, oh, so many years ago, we used to travel down from West LA to the start of the Bayona Creek bike path, taking it all the way down to Marina Del Rey and beyond. But this day I started there at the end near the boathouse where UCLA and USC do their sailing and their crew rowing in Marina Del Rey, and then down to the bridge, made a left and a quick right, and I was on the bike path headed all the way down to Redondo Beach. If I remember correctly, this is about a 30-mile round trip. It's a lot of fun, and the scenery, well, it's unbeatable. You've got the sand and the sea on the right-hand side, and on this particular day, For most of the trip, I was able to see dolphins and porpoises frolicking out in the waves. And to your left, you've also got the the bluffs and 
LAX. So being both an ocean fan and an aviation fan, I love taking this route. However, when you are on this bike path headed either south or north, please be careful for lots of walkers, joggers, kids, and people who are going to be crossing the bike path either to or from the beach. Also, as I learned many, many years ago on one of my very first rides on the bike path that goes along the Pacific Coast shoreline from Marina del Rey down to Redondo Beach, almost to Palos Verdes, a lot of sections can be covered in sand. So please wear a helmet, please wear gloves, and be careful uh, as you are riding. Now, there are some very crowded sections, particularly as you cross through Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, and down through Redondo Beach. There are some sections where you need to get off and walk your bike, and you can get a ticket by the local police if you don't do that, so be careful. Along the way, you will see some famous scenery. For those of you who may be fans of Beverly Hills 90210, you can see the house in which several of the cast members lived in the latter years of that show. But you will also recognize uh, the locations from some famous surfing competitions as well as some of the most famous beach volleyball competitions in the world. Now, if you've arrived at Los Angeles International Airport and you would like to do this ride, there is a local bike shop nearby that does rent high-quality road bikes, and that is Helen's Cycles. And I have put a link in the show notes for Helen's. Another bike shop that rents bicycles in the Southern California area, this one in the San Fernando Valley, is Bicycle John's in Burbank. They also have another store in Acton, California. So if you're looking to rent a bike at the beach, give Helen's a try if you're looking to, or in the West LA area in general, or if you're looking to rent a bike in the San Fernando Valley, give Bicycle John's a try. Now, if you do rent from Bicycle John's, a couple of rides that you might want to consider. First of all is the Griffith Park Loop, and that includes what we used to call alternately Trash Truck Hill and Garbage Truck Hill, taking you past LA's Travel Town, where you get to see a lot of uh, trains, old trains set up and restored, plus past the Los Angeles Zoo, and up behind the zoo as you climb Trash Truck Hill. Another favorite ride of a lot of Los Angeles racers, uh, and a bit controversial as well, is the Tuesday and Thursday night Rose Bowl ride. This one taking place in the spring and summer only, when several hundred competitive cyclists converge on the Rose Bowl in Pasadena for the couple-mile circuit around the Rose Bowl itself. Starts out at about 6 p.m. Now, this is a fast fun yet dangerous ride. So unless you are comfortable in a very large pack going 25 miles plus, just watch from the sidelines in awe. And from my, from my opinion, just the sound of that pack going by is awesome. Well, heading back toward the beach, uh, another ride that I like to do a lot is the Palace Verde's Donut Loop. You're going to find and by the way, this one connects at the end of the South Bay bike trail that we talked about earlier in the Redondo, pardon me, yeah, in the Redondo Beach area at the edge of Palos Verdes Estates. Uh, this will take you through some beautiful scenery, 
relatively uncrowded roads and some great rolling hills over 35 miles and about 2,000 feet of climbing, all the while with some gorgeous views of the Pacific Ocean as you're up a couple hundred feet on the bluffs, passing by what was once the nation's uh, premier oceanariums and marine life exhibits at Marineland, something a lot of Angelinos really miss out there on the Palos Verdes Peninsula. Now, moving inland, a couple of rides that you can consider. One that I used to do quite often was the San Gabriel River Bike Trail. Now, I usually started this one at the Santa Fe Dam Recreation Area near the 210 Freeway and the 605 Freeways, and you can take the trail from there all the way down to the beach in Long Beach. Now, if I remember right, and forgive me, folks, and you guys are going to remember it, and somebody's going to email me or call me, once you get down to Long Beach, you ride, you can also ride on the street for a short period to reconnect to another trail, perhaps the Rio Hondo Trail, and that loop ends up being called something that locals call the Big Banana. It is a self-supported century, all mostly on bike paths, uh, riverside bike paths, where you will not be having to deal with cars. However, I found that there were several sections of both of those trails where uh, it got a little bit sketchy, broken bottles, graffiti, carry a patch kit, and in my personal opinion, ride at least in pairs, but it's a great trail. I used to love doing the San Gabriel River Trail at least three to four times per month when I lived in Southern California. By the way, for each of these routes that I'm telling you about, I have put links in the show notes. Another route, which is fantastic, and by the way, something which probably shows up on that Epic Planet DVD we just talked about and something you've just seen in the 2011 Amgen Tour of California, Glendora Mountain Road, portions of which were being used in this year's tour of California. And for LA roadies, this is the training ground for climbing. Quiet, beautiful views, and yes, a lot of suffering. Now, I used to live out in the Santa Clarita area of Los Angeles County for quite some time. That area probably most famous for Six Flags Magic Mountain. And when I lived in Valencia for about 13 years, I loved riding up there. And my absolute favorite ride was the Bokeh Canyon Loop. Now, the link that I've provided in the show notes says to park at the Valencia Town Center. But I think that that takes you on too many busy streets unnecessarily. So personally, for my money, if you're going to start heading up the Bouquet Canyon side, because there's two ways you can go, you can either head up Bouquet Canyon or head up San Francisco Canyon. If you're going to head up the Bouquet Canyon side, go park at Valencia Central Park. But if you're going to start by heading up the San Francisco Canyon side, then I'd go find some place to park in the area around Copper Hill Drive, between McBean Parkway and Seiko Canyon. Now, another ride that I used to do, but one that is definitely not for the faint of heart, is Highway 126. And I used to ride that one from Valencia virtually all the way to Oxnard and then back. This one is definitely not for the faint of heart because you're going to be riding on a heavily traveled road with cars and trucks passing at high speed. I enjoyed it. But some thought I was out of my mind for even considering it. Um, When it's quiet, it's fantastic. But when it's busy, it's busy. So grain of salt here. Take this one with some caution. And then finally, one of my favorite 
quiet rides. North of Santa Clarita was the old ridge route. Now for this one, I recommend either using a cyclocross bike or a mountain bike. Don't take your road bike on this one because there are some very worn sections and sections of gravel and dirt. The ridge route was the original way that cars used to get from northern L.A. County to the Bakersfield area over the pass known as the Grapevine. The old road is the section, the, the old ridge route is the section that cars used to use before Interstate 5 went through the Grapevine area. You are going to encounter very, very few cars on this road. Now, in the old days, this was a multi-day trip. And because it gets so hot in that section of Southern California and because of the twisting roads and the up and down climbs, they had to put several inns with garages along the route, the route for people to be able to stop, get water for their radiators, get food for their bellies, and even find a place to sleep. There are some great historical sites on the internet that you can check out about the old ridge route. And as you're going along the old ridge route, you will find the remnants of some of those old inns. It's quiet, it's beautiful, and it's a great ride. So there are a few bicycle routes and a few bicycle shops that you can check out in the Los Angeles area. Look, Southern California is humongous, stretching from Santa Barbara in the north to San Diego in the south and all the way to the Nevada border. There are way, way more routes and way more bicycle shops that you can check out, but at least this will give you an opportunity, a start for your next time that you travel to Los Angeles. Plus, I put a link in the show notes to a book that I have found useful when I've been looking for places to ride in Los Angeles. It's called Bicycling Los Angeles County. Go ahead and check it out. Oh yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about one more shop in the Southern California area, the shop where I bought my Colnago oh so many years ago. Stop in and visit Hrach, a former bicycle racer himself. Take a look at his amazing collection of bicycles and the beautiful shop that he has created at Velo Pasadena. And yes, there are links in the show notes. So that's it for this edition of Travels with Fred. My next Travels with Fred segment is going to profile a trip that I recently took to northeastern Canada, including rides in Ottawa, Montreal, and Quebec City. Well, before we head out of here for this week's episode of the Fredcast, I want to thank our sponsors, JensenUSA.com. Remember, they are one of the top 500 internet retailers, and in my heart, they are the top cycling retailer on the internet. Simply go to JensenUSA.com slash the Fredcast, where you will find the greatest selection, the greatest customer service, and some of the best prices on the internet. Also, don't forget epicplanet.tv slash Fredcast and their latest Epic Rides DVD, Epic California Mount Baldy. That's epicplanet.tv slash Fredcast. Plus, thank you for your donation. Simply click the donate link on www.thefredcast.com. We appreciate your support of the Fredcast and all of the Fredcast sponsors. And yes, I did just mention the Fredcast website. That's www.thefredcast.com where you'll find everything you need to know about the Fredcast and 
everything that we are doing. If you want to keep in contact with us on a daily basis, follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash fredcast or on Facebook. Go ahead and click that Facebook link on the right-hand side at thefredcast.com. If you'd like to send comments, go ahead and send an email. The email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like your voice featured on the show to comment on anything I've discussed today, because, you know, nothing I talked about was controversial in the slightest, go ahead and either send an audio comment to our email address or use the Fredcast listener hotline at area code 661-513-FRED. That's 661-513-3733. And now it's time for Podsafe Cycling Music. And this week's Podsafe Cycling Music was chosen specifically for the Fredcast by the Cadence Revolution. That's cadencerevolution.com, the home of the free weekly featured track and premium member content of weekly 30 and 60 minute cardio mixes and bi-weekly coaching tracks to get the world moving. Now, Keith from Cadence Revolution not only sent us in the information about the uh, two Canadian radio hosts with their F cycling campaign, but he also sent along this particular song. He said as soon as he heard it, he knew it was perfect for the Fredcast. This song is called No Vacation, and it's by Tim Blaine. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying subscribed. Thank you for telling your friends about the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Love doing the show for you. Can't wait to do the next one. So between this show and the next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride. You're just climbing one knee after another And tell me to gun it And we go It's just winding passageways we unclutter And maybe we're running Maybe we're just stoned City.